Hello, this is Mark Signani, Chair of the Analytics Data Group and Barnes & Thorberg and Partner. Welcome to IP Fridays. Hello and welcome to this episode of IP Fridays. Our names are Ken Suzanne and Rolf Clayson, and this is the podcast dedicated to intellectual property. It does not matter where you are from, in-house or private practice, novice or expert, we will help you stay up to date with current topics in the fields of trademarks, patents, design and copyright, discover useful tools, and much more. Welcome to episode 115 of the IP Fridays podcast. I'm Ken Suzanne, co-host of the IP Fridays podcast, along with Rolf Clayson. If this is your first time listening to the IP Fridays podcast, welcome. And if you're a returning listener, thank you for coming back. If you enjoy our podcast, please help to spread the word on social media and through word of mouth. Our guest today is Mark Stignani, partner and chair of the IP analytics practice at Barnes & Thornburg, LLP. Today, we'll explore issues relating to understanding and using big data, IP analytics, and the top 10 things that GCs worry about. Before we get into today's interview, let's turn our attention to recent developments in U.S. trademark and copyright legislation. As part of the Government Consolidated Appropriations Act for 2021, the federal government passed the Trademark Modernization Act, or TMA, and the Copyright Alternative Small Claims Enforcement Act, also known as the CASE Act. In response to the flurry of international trademark applications that include doctored photos to demonstrate use and fraudulent trademark filings, the TMA provides new third-party procedures that could invalidate trademark filings and registrations. The TMA provides new procedures for third parties to submit evidence that shows that the application should be denied based on inaccurate claims during the examination period. The Act also allows third parties to submit ex parte re-examination and expungement proceedings when seeking registration cancellation for non-use and provides plaintiffs seeking Lanham Act injunctions with a statutory rebuttable presumption of irreparable harm. Providing a statutory presumption of irreparable harm lessens the evidentiary burden for plaintiffs. In an effort to provide efficient and low-cost copyright claim adjudication, the CASE Act requires the Copyright Office to establish a small claims board that will hear cases initially meant for the federal courts. The small claims board may grant up to $15,000 in damages per infringed work and up to $30,000 per case, which is a significant deviation from the statutory damages for copyright infringement that reach up to $150,000. Some argue that this is an effort to give independent creators the ability to pursue copyright infringement claims without resorting to the federal court system, while others worry that the act will only embolden copyright trolls. Additionally, Congress passed a law that authorizes the Department of Justice to bring felony charges against for-profit companies that are designed, provided, and marketed for unlicensed streaming and that have no other commercially significant purpose. This law excludes criminal prosecution of individual users of the illegal streaming websites. Now, on to the interview with Mark Stignani. 
Our guest today on the IP Fridays podcast is Mark Stignani. Mark is a partner and chair of the analytics practice at Barnes & Thornburg, LLP, and he is based in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Mark has held executive and managerial positions in legal, marketing, sales, operations, and engineering. He has a deep background in and knowledge of artificial intelligence and machine learning tools, alongside his decades of corporate, executive, and legal experience. Mark reviews, classifies, and advises clients on business, financial, and legal options for their IP portfolios. These options include monetization options such as licensing, sale, acquisition, and portfolio gap analysis, as well as strategic planning, M&A, and other operations related to intellectual property assets, and the curation of those patent assets. Early in his career, Mark spent more than a decade as an assistant general counsel and chief intellectual property counsel for various divisions of, of Thomson Reuters and its predecessor, where his responsibilities included managing high-volume M&A, driving innovation by harvesting and protecting IP associated with software and high-value data and analytics, as well as providing primary intellectual property legal support for businesses, contracts, editorial and technology areas in the business, financial, services, healthcare, and legal information groups. Not only is Mark an IP practitioner, he also has over 36 patent filings himself in various technologies and across 11 countries. Welcome, Mark, to IP Fridays. Oh, thank you very much, Ken. I appreciate your time, and I thank you, everyone, who's chosen to tune in and listen here. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to speak. Excellent, Mark. Mark, can you tell our listeners a bit about your practice, and what are some of the things that your clients need for their operations? Thank you. Well, my practice is largely that of a partnership with my clients. So in many ways, uh, I developed my practice in analytics simply to get myself to be much more of a partner that much quicker with the clients as uh, understanding more about their operations, understanding more about their particular needs and their particular desires to accomplish in my legal advisory. Uh, it caused me to develop tools that would get me there quicker. So what types of things are my clients needing for their operations? You know, it's in many ways legal advice like any other legal advice, but uh, what I try to do is also layer in a little business uh, intelligence around the advisory. So instead of uh, this is what the law says, this is what the law says, but here are the three things you may want to consider that your competitor is doing uh, in relation to that. So in, in many ways, what I try to do is take it maybe two clicks further and give my client, uh, you know, what otherwise might be seen as say consulting uh, thought with the legal advice. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what you do relates to the field of big data. And I understand that big data continues to grow exponentially. What are some of the latest legal issues facing companies these days in big data? Well, big data is, uh, you know, a buzzword that covers a ton of areas. So uh, one of the things that I really work hard at with my clients is making them understand which data is relevant and which data is useful rather than, you know, boiling the ocean at any one time. One of the greatest challenges of the practice, as well as one of the greatest rewards of the practice, is to really uh, ask the right question with my client to say what data is necessary to answer the question there. So, you know, 
whether it's advising them on big data, which has its own set of issues, or using big data to advise a legal issue, uh, tend to be two different discussions. Uh, because everything is digitized, everything is trying to be monetized, uh, you know, helping my clients understand what data is valuable for their particular uh, business or what data is valuable for their particular monetization thought is certainly one thing that I, I spend a fair amount of time talking to. Secondly, I help them understand which platforms. Uh, there's a ton of big data platforms that purport to tell you everything correlatable under the sun. Uh, and some, unfortunately, a lot of things that are correlatable are meaningless in the case of business. Uh, and then finally, then when I get down into using big data for answering you know, the specific questions. I use big data a lot as a truth test uh, because, uh, you know, so much of information that is publicly released by a corporation has a bit of um, storytelling in it, and it, it, it tends to be of, uh, of various probative value when you read them in and of themselves. So if you go into the big data and look at, at data that is just not published for the purpose of, of telling the story, uh, you're able to do some truth telling with that data as you're as you're giving advisory to your clients. Mm -hmm. And IP Fridays, the podcast that we're uh, on today, uh, we're worldwide. We we're distributed all over the world. And um, is big data an issue that is the same worldwide, or does it vary from jurisdiction to jurisdiction when you're dealing with particular legal issues? It absolutely varies. Uh, the uh, I also have a background in data privacy as well. So a lot of information about companies and the individuals that work for the companies is, is held behind data privacy law in many places. So what you can arrive at with a big data analytic uh, can vary country by country. Sometimes the derivatives that you come up with your big data would actually open a, a, a problematic discussion about you know, personal data as it stands. Mm -hmm. So in, in the U.S., the, you know, the, the restrictions are, are very low as to how we use this data and, you know, on its way back to a little more restrictive. But uh, the ability to look uh, jurisdictionally is, you know, I can usually give a good answer in jurisdiction by jurisdiction based upon what we can see on the public web mm -hmm. and in the public records, uh, you know, if we're looking at intellectual property, uh, the public records are still uh, largely available in the area of patents and trademarks. So there's a, quite a bit of information we can, you know, glean even the most restrictive marketplace that does not trip the, the problematic trigger of, of personal data. Uh, as you're going through this, so yeah, there it is. Uh, the the issues that we try to solve are more complex. Uh, getting the answer, you know, outside the U.S. Uh, in, especially outside of uh, the U.S. and, and the European Union, uh, just because of uh, their various laws. But you know, the the more diverse the jurisdiction, the the more you know creative we have to become. Is there a a big data issue that you're seeing coming up time and time, you know, these days that you could tell our listeners about? Maybe a trend that you're seeing. Uh, there's there's a trend that I see that is probably most disturbing to me is that people tend to think that an algorithm is going to solve a problem or answer a problem completely. And one of the things that I try not to do is use one platform to answer every problem or even to answer the same problem. Uh, data and data quality is probably one of the biggest issues in big data today is that, you know, is the data clean enough to use and perform good, analy good analysis with? 
So in many, many cases, the, the, uh, the issues we get into with that are, um, do you trust the data you're using? So a lot of times I will run analysis across two different you know, independent data sets just to find things in common. Mm-hmm. So there's there's that aspect. Then you know other things that come out of that is you know once you get the data in a position where you can manipulate it and derive various things out of it, uh, you should you need to kind of look at you know is is the derivation meaningful? So this is why you know a, a human a human explainer or or, or reviewer in, with with AI tools are, are really really incredibly important and uh you know you know some of the ai tools out there they're very very sophisticated but they're in many ways savant like and they're very good at one thing and not very good at other things so you you have to understand what your tool is trying to answer mm-hmm. and then take that answer in context with your experience as either an executive or a lawyer now what about social media how does social media figure into the business analytics that you're you're looking at, and is this a growing area uh, that you're finding? Social utterances in, you know, whether it's, you know, a LinkedIn or a, a Twitter or things like that, I find very useful uh, as, you know, to to either fact-check or to cause me to look deeper and more broadly. I mean, I, I do look at sentiment analysis. I do look at, at the analyses that are uh, available from various individuals uh, associated with the company. Uh, you know, the executive team is is uh, probably the most uh, interesting to look at simply because what they utter on their social media, uh, you know, is sometimes uh, indicative of you know what the what the PR department is trying to say. Or if they're you know relatively independent in their social media, they can say very very interesting things in social media that would allow me to go back and adjust my analysis to say, well, you know. The data says X, but you know, given you know what a, a particular executive has tweeted in his in, in his morning thoughts, in his morning rituals, uh, might indicate something else here. So I'm going to go back and look for the next little piece of evidence there. So it's a great area to discover. Also, how other people view a company is, and, and I mentioned sentiment analysis. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are a lot of political and socio. Uh, you know, uh, social progressive uh, information is available on what various companies think about or people think about a company. So you can actually generate positive and negative inferences from what the world is saying about. It. I mean, it, 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 it's one of those uh, problems. If you have, if you don't have enough data, that's not very meaningful. But if you have, you know, ten thousand or fifteen thousand people saying something about a company, uh, that becomes meaningful data to use. Mm-hmm. Now, I would assume that the analytics that you uh, look at and and analyze uh, plays an important role in M and A deals. Uh, could you give me a little bit of a snapshot on how your type of services uh, are used in um, in M and A transactions? Yeah, I mean, I, I think a quick way to make it understandable what I do is is there is uh, in an MA deal there are various assets that are being brought together. Uh, you know, you generally have a, a champion within the business who is trying to buy this company for a number of reasons. It could be market share, it could be uh, you know speed to a solution that they're thinking about building internally. And so, once the thing, one of the things that you can use what I do more efficiently is to kind of conduct a speed dating, if you will, uh, between company and target. And so we can look at 
all of the various indicators of overlap. We can look at the human overlap. We can look at uh, you know financial or fiscal overlap, market overlap, uh, intellectual property overlap is also another fairly quickly we do it. And so you can get a, a kind of a disposition matrix set up on a fairly quick basis to understand whether a company's acquisition is uh, additive, complementary, or um, you know kind of left field. And the, the left field M&A ones are are very interesting. So I perform this for clients who are looking to buy companies. Also, I look at it, uh, perform it for clients who are looking at other companies' acquisitions and, and the motivations behind those acquisitions. So mm-hmm. uh, the the data has an awful lot of honesty in it when it comes to motivations for that. And uh, so, you know, as long as you can resolve around the geography or the, the technology or the products, uh, you know, there's a fairly quick and also a fairly robust answer that comes out of that. Mm-hmm. One of the things you just mentioned was IP. Um, tell me a little bit more about the types of IP that you look at when you're doing your analytics. So I tend to be a very holistic view uh, on IP because one of the things that is a little different is from the practice of law versus how corporations deal with IP is IP tends to cluster around product or service uh, within a corporation, and it does not tend to be addressed in the same way when you're practicing law, say, for instance, in law firm, you might have a question about a trademark ability, uh, you know, a patent, uh, a patent piece of technology. So there, there are very different people that get involved in that practice in a law firm. So when a client is talking about intellectual property, I try to address it holistically in asking them about the, the patents, the trademarks, and any trade secrets that they uh, would be uh you know, comfortable discussing as we were talking about matching that up with the uh, with the client's uh, wishes in the target. So, uh, in in some ways, trade secrets are you know a bit of a bit of a black box uh, because a lot of times you don't know what the other side has, mm-hmm. but some of it can can be inferred. So what you're trying to do is, you know, when you give it an, an analytic around IP for a corporate client, and in a, especially in the merger and acquisition client, what you're trying to do is give a cluster thought around, well, the product has, you know, you know, 20 to 30 percent coverage in this technology with a, with a set of patents. It has, its content appears to be relatively well covered in the form of notices, as well as even registrations of the copyright offices. Their websites appear to have, uh, you know, unique and interesting content that is not you know, purchased or taken from other places. And their brands and their trademarks are consistent and uniform across the, both the registrations as well as their usage online. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I tend to try to bring uh, you know, a product-by-product product view to uh, a client re- versus a, well, here's the vertical patents, here's the vertical trademarks, because uh, I've had a number of clients who appreciate connecting the dots on those. And I'm curious, with respect to valuation, for example, does the types of things you do affect the valuation? And have you seen situations where you know, the price went from one thing to another? Absolutely. You know, again, as I mentioned earlier, the, the data has a lot of truthfulness to it. Uh, so I've been in situations where uh, we've worked on the M&A, and this is, you know, nothing that I've, nothing that I've worked with the current law firm, uh, just so I can mm-hmm. say that. But in my personal experience, I've found places where the, the, the target has misrepresented the quality and the quantity of their intellectual property substantially, which would, you know, again, talk to downside uh, of, of it. Uh, and then on the contrary, on the, on the, on the, uh, the, the 
opposite side, I've actually found great upside. Well, so we'll find a particular patent asset or a particular set of brands that has much farther reach and has other applicability across the you know the client's uh, brand profile than uh, than say a simple trademark or a simple patent. I, I try very very hard to couch everything I do for my clients into the baseline of is this business actionable data? Does this does this does this does this give them something that they can make an action with or make a decision with rather than saying this is just pure on legal advice? Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark, let's talk about a list that um, uh, you put together, which I think is very interesting. And uh, we've entitled this the top 10 things GCs worry about, general counsels. Let's take it from the top seven. Um, why, don't, why don't you, you know, share with me some of these things? And I think they'll be helpful for our listeners, many of them who are GCs themselves. But even if they're not GCs, it's, it's helpful to know this information. So why don't we start with uh, the, top, uh, the top seven? Absolutely. Well, you know, in the top one uh, is really everything that's related to COVID, COVID and, and kind of business process continuation here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that there's a lot of GCs who are looking at their budgets, looking at the, uh, the the bellwether given to them by their CFO and the latest estimates as to what they can afford to do versus what they can, you know, a lot of them are being asked to make cuts or, you know, make judgments about things. You know, can we spend this now or spend this later? So, in, in, you know, the overarching top seven, you know, are all essentially COVID or budget or resource related that, you know, that has been brought on by this global crisis. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think, you know, what technology to use, whether your resources to accomplish your technology is certainly an area uh, that I've heard a number of people speak about. Uh, you know, you're, you're given a choice of, you know, can I use can I use a platform to solve a problem that I would normally hire a law firm to do? Um, that's certainly one of the the aspects. A lot of this is also with everybody being remote. The the risk aspect. I mean, the you know, the biggest thing that a GC is hired to do is mitigate risk and identify and help the executive team understand what those risks are. So, with everybody working remote, you've got incredible change in what your 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 physical physical security as well as your cyber security is you've got a lot of home networks that are uh you know now transmitting incredibly sensitive data across them uh you know the physical asset you know the fragmentation of your team your team is you know literally not in the office so you can't all share a mindset uh but for a zoom meeting so uh, you know, the whole risk aspect is uh, caused by COVID, I think, has really made, uh, you know, being a GC harder and harder than it's ever been. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, then, uh, you know, the, you're also being asked to opine on is, is it safe to be all together or is it the risk to business to be all together? So the, the whole safety aspect of your team versus the, the efficiency and effect, efficacy of your team, uh, you know, can you opine on travel? Do you recommend, you know, you know provisions for people to uh, shelter in place, quarantine. I mean, there's just a ton of stuff in respect to that. Mm -hmm. And now as a direct result of that budget is now uh, on, you know, probably a a, a current uh, sleepless night factor of of general counsels. I can imagine. And and a lot of, and especially in the IP side, because IP in many cases, if you're not a specialist in the area, can be viewed as, 
you know, nice to have in, and rather than you know, really imperative for your business. So a lot of GCs are being forced to answer tough questions. Why are we spending so much on patents? Why are we spending so much on annuities or tra- trademarks or brands? Or can we cut something? And so a lot of my advisory goes, uh, you know, currently to let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, what are the things that you, you know, that are must have for your business continuation? What are things that are just nice to have or what things could you honestly let go? And sort of a prioritization, a of, would you say? Or, or, exactly. Yeah. No, absolutely correct. So it's, yeah. you know, let's, let's rank everything as, you know, essential, you know, moderately essential and, and non-essential. And, you know, there is a significant amount of work and budget that can be freed up. Uh, by doing that, uh, one of the things that I, I do in my analysis is I look at a lot of companies that have gone through financial difficulty, and you can start to see distress in their IP approximately three years before uh, their, their, uh, their, their true financial distress comes to light. And that's, uh, you know, that's probably going to be very much the case as we're looking at, at sort of COVID impact going forward. And then the final one in the top seven there is really the resource management. Do you have the right people? Uh, you know, do you, you have the right people, especially in a remote workplace, where uh, are they capable of continuing the work that they did previously when they were in the office, or is there is, are there accommodations or things that have to be made uh, to to make that change? I mean, uh, there are a ton of counsel who are uh, have young children, uh, they have uh, a husband who works or a, a spouse that works that that, that uh, spends they will spend their time trying to commit online learning, managing the business, and this goes out throughout, you know, a great number of the council that I'm, that I'm uh, associated with, where they have to make choices about how their resources and the, what their own personal time engages with. So, so I think that that, that is a yet one more exponential factor that causes this great ball of worry to in, increase mm-hmm. uh, ever faster. What about the bottom so, three uh, of, of the list? <laughs> uh, I'm well, curious to yeah, hear about I mean, those, and what what brings them to the bottom? I'm curious about that. Well, because this is you know the the COVID crisis is 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 right in front of it. it's imminent, and we have Definitely. you know uh, things happening even today as you know people are voting. We have we have other factors that are really driven heavily by the by the the current uh, pandemic. But, you know, that being said, the, the bottom three are really, you know, a lot of the standard ones. I mean, future risk mitigation. So for counsel who are, uh, you know, invested in the UK, how is Brexit going to uh, in, engage with you? Um, are you engaged in international trade? Does the political landscape prevent you from doing trade uh, in the way you've, you've been doing it for the last 50 years? Do you have to set up distributorships in different countries to avoid uh, you know, uh, decisions that, you know, cause embargoes or, or, or high, t- high tariffs on things that you want to bring in together. So, I mean, there's, there's that mm-hmm. uh, aspect of future risk, risk mitigation, which would be in literally every other top 10 thing GC is worried about discussion. But it's kind of made it to the bottom third simply because of the times we live in. That's right. And... You know, the next one is really the speed at which decisions are being required. One of the problems of big data is that you're always, you, you, you are given a ton of information. And in many cases, people are forced into making decisions because they've been bombarded by this informational, you know, tsunami. And, you know, they've got these various data analytics tools, which they 
sometimes falsely rely upon to make their decision making. So a lot of times uh, where you could have had a week to think about something, you might have a day and a half to think about something at the most. But from the time that comes to your, uh, it comes to your attention to the time that you're expected to make some, you know, final decision about it. And that, you know, I, I think that creates a great deal more angst for a general counsel who's forced into making a decision at speed rather than, you know, think about it. Because, I mean, you know, the human nature has always been, you know, sometimes your first choice is not your best choice, except in test taking. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so this, the whole speed of decision making, I think, keeps people awake at night. Yeah. And then, you know, the, the close it all up, the, the whole globalization, you know, everybody works in a global economy. Uh, and, you know, the, the decisions made by uh, competitors in, you know, Asia or, uh, you know, South, uh, Southeastern Asia or Africa do affect what we do here in, in our global business advisory. So if you don't think about the context of the global marketplace, you don't actually have a complete answer and you will probably not give the greatest answer to your business executives as a result. Mark, I really want to thank you for spending some time with us here on the IP Fridays podcast. How can our listeners reach you uh, after they uh, listen to the podcast? Well, anybody who wants to find me on btlaw.com, I'm I'm there under the data analytics group. Mm-hmm. Uh, I uh, I am a, a vociferous user of LinkedIn, so uh, with my unique last name, there are a few of me uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, so please reach out. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, my contact details are on the on the, the law firm website. So anybody who wants to reach out, I'm, I'm very happy to talk about this because I think it's an area uh, of emergency, uh, of emerging expertise that uh, its time has finally come. And uh, I, I welcome all, all inquiries. Excellent, Mark. Thanks again for spending time with us today on IP Fridays. Kenneth, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much, everyone. That's it for this episode. If you liked what you heard, please show us your love by visiting ipfridays.com love and tweet a link to this show. We would be so grateful if you would do that. It would help us out to get the word out. Also, please subscribe to our podcast at ipfridays.com or on iTunes or Stitcher.com. If you have a question or want to be featured in one of the upcoming episodes, please send us your feedback at ipfridays.com slash feedback. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes. You can go to ipfridays.com slash iTunes, and it will take you right to the correct page on iTunes. If you want to get mentioned on this podcast, or even have comments within the next episode, please leave us your voicemail at ipfridays.com slash voicemail. You have been listening to an episode of IP Fridays. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of nor are they endorsed by their respective law firms. None of the content should be considered legal advice. The IP Fridays podcast should not be construed as legal advice or legal opinion on any specific facts or circumstances. The contents of this podcast are intended for general informational purposes only and you are urged to consult your own lawyer on any specific legal questions. As always, consult a lawyer or patent or trademark attorney. Copyright 2014. All rights reserved.